First things, the first date you went on with your spouse, your first day at a new job, the first time you saw your child after he or she was born, your child's first steps. We tend to remember and cherish the first things. That's why we keep scrapbooks and baby books full of memories. They're full of first things. The older we get, the more we like to talk about the bigger moments that we've experienced in life. My wife and I are in our 14th year of marriage. Next September will be 15 years. I can't tell you how many times we've talked about the first things that we experienced together. Our first kiss after saying I do. Buying our first car or our first house together. Our first full-time ministry. Our first vacation. And how our first child didn't sleep for the first three years of his life. Thank you, Micaiah. (laughs) We love celebrating first things. Today, we're beginning a new mini-series called First Things. Over the next two weeks, we're going to spend our time in the last half of Luke chapter 2. We're going to learn about some of the first things that happened in Jesus' life after his birth. Now, we're not given much. The events of his life between his birth and his baptism at the age of 30 are mainly speculation. But what God has chosen to share with us through his word is rich in truth reminding us about who Jesus is, why he was given, and what his life, ministry, and message means for us today. If you have a Bible with you, I'd like to invite you to turn with me to Luke chapter 2. We're going to read and learn from verses 21 through 35. I've chosen to break this passage down into three different parts today. Each part gives us insight into what Jesus experienced in his early years. These are some of the first things that happened in his life. So Luke chapter 2, verses 21 through 24, that's going to be the first section that we read. These are the words that Dr. Luke penned. Eight days later, when the baby was circumcised, he was named Jesus, the name given him by the angel even before he was conceived. Then it was time for their purification offering, as required by the law of Moses, after the birth of a child. So his parents took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. The law of the Lord says, if a woman's first child is a boy, he must be dedicated to the Lord. So they offered the sacrifice required in the law of the Lord, either a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. So the shepherds had journeyed to Bethlehem, where they were able to see Jesus with their own eyes. And then they returned to their fields, telling everyone about what they had seen and experienced. As faithful followers of God, One of the very first things that Mary and Joseph did as new parents was to have Jesus circumcised when he was eight days old. Now, circumcision symbolized the Jews' separation from the Gentiles and their unique relationship with God. This was also considered a sign and a seal of the covenant that God had made with Abraham back in Genesis chapter 17. It was required of every Jewish male who wanted to practice their faith. The Jews were very proud to be God's covenant people. If you go forward to the book of Ephesians, which the Apostle Paul wrote, Ephesians chapter 2 verse 11 tells us that they even referred to the Gentiles, or all non-Jews, as uncircumcised heathens. Now if you read a little further, this verse also tells us that their circumcision only affected their bodies, not their hearts. You see, unfortunately, for many Jewish families, circumcision became nothing more than an empty ritual. Just as the angel had instructed, Joseph and Mary gave their son the name Jesus, which means Jehovah is salvation or God saves. 
In Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, the gospel writer wrote these words, And she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So this is why Jesus was born. Jesus came to earth to save us because we can't save ourselves from sin and its consequences. No matter how good we think we are, we can't earn salvation. We can't earn God's favor, his love. We can't eliminate the sinful nature that's present in our lives. Only Jesus can do that. Forty days after his birth, they experienced another first. Mary and Joseph traveled with Jesus to the temple in Jerusalem for the purification offering that's described in Leviticus chapter 12. This was like a first century Jewish baby dedication. Now the passage does a good job at explaining it in a way that we can all understand, I think. It says his parents took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. The law of the Lord says if a woman's first child is a boy, he must be dedicated to the Lord. So they offered the sacrifice required in the law of the Lord, either a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. So they were dedicating Jesus to the Lord. It was while they were dedicating him in the temple that they had a divine interruption. We read about this divine interruption in verses 25 through 32. At that time, there was a man in Jerusalem named Simeon. He was righteous and devout and was eagerly waiting for the Messiah to come and rescue Israel. The Holy Spirit was upon him and had revealed to him that he would not die until he had seen the Lord's Messiah. That day, the Spirit led him to the temple. So when Mary and Joseph came to present the baby Jesus to the Lord as the law required, Simeon was there. He took the child in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, Now let your servant die in peace, as you have promised. I have seen your salvation, which you have prepared for all people. He is a light to reveal God to the nations, and he is the glory of your people, Israel. Simeon was another faithful follower of God, and he had patiently waited for the Messiah to be born his entire life. After Jesus was born, Simeon had the opportunity to hold Jesus in his arms, Because he had waited so long for this moment, Simeon knew exactly what to say when he held Jesus for the first time. His words are what's commonly known as Simeon's song. This is the last song of Christmas in Luke's gospel. There are three important truths about Jesus that we learn from this song. If you're taking notes, the first truth that I want to talk about today is that Jesus was born to offer salvation to all people. Luke chapter 2 verses 30 through 32 says, I have seen your salvation, which you have prepared for all people. He is a light to reveal God to the nations, and he is the glory of your people, Israel. Simeon understood that Jesus had been born to offer salvation to all people, not just the Jews, but the Gentiles as well. This means everyone. What's amazing to me is that if you keep reading in Luke's gospel, You see adult Jesus living this out throughout his earthly ministry. Luke chapter 5, verses 27 through 32 says, Later, as he left the town, he saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at his tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Later, Levi held a banquet in his home with Jesus as the guest of honor. Many of Levi's fellow tax collectors and other guests also ate with them. 
But the Pharisees and their teachers of religious law complained bitterly to Jesus' disciples. Why do you eat and drink with such scum? Jesus answered them, Healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners and need to repent. I love this story because it shows us what Jesus was willing to do to reach the people that nobody else was willing to reach. Being a tax collector in Jesus' day was a hated profession, and the Pharisees weren't okay with Jesus spending time with people like this because they were more concerned about their image. They were more concerned about following their hundreds of man-made rules and regulations, and they cared about what other people thought about them. The opinions of others drove their decision-making. But these are the kinds of people that Jesus came to save. Luke chapter 5, 30-32 says, But the Pharisees and their teachers of religious law complained bitterly to Jesus' disciples. Why do you eat and drink with such scum? And Jesus answered them, Healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. I've come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners and need to repent. A few thoughts on this passage. The first thought, Jesus intentionally spent time with sinners. He never supported what they did, but their sin didn't keep him from loving them. The second thought, aren't you glad that hospitals don't turn sick people away? I mean, just imagine if that were the case. Jesus was born to redeem, to heal the spiritually sick, the marginalized and the outcast. And he's given the church this same mission of seeking out and ministering to the lost. And the third thought, an important question for all of us to ask ourselves today, if everyone else at OCC lived out their faith the way that you live out your faith, would that help or hurt God's kingdom? Do you spend time with unbelievers? Do you share Jesus with others? Do you serve people well? Do you give of your time, your talent, and your treasure generously? Are you a chronic complainer or a chronic encourager? Jesus was born to offer salvation to all people. And as we learn from Jesus to live like Jesus, the church should be a group where all are invited to come and hear about the good news that is only found in him. Regardless of background, regardless of ethnicity or social status, all are welcome to come and see. I've said this before, but I believe that we should be willing to try any method short of sin to reach people with the gospel. The angels song that we learned about a few weeks ago promised that Jesus's birth would be good news that would bring great joy to all people. And here, Simeon's song teaches us about how Jesus came to offer salvation to all people. There's not a person alive today that doesn't need this good news. Simeon had the great privilege of sharing this truth with all who were listening that day. His song is about the good news of God's salvation in Jesus. The second point that I'd like to talk about today is this. Simeon's song is about salvation as well as suffering. It's about salvation, but it's also about suffering. Luke chapter 2, verses 33 through 35 says, Jesus' parents were amazed at what was being said about him. Then Simeon blessed them, and he said to Mary, the baby's mother, This child is destined to cause many in Israel to fall and many others to rise. He's been sent as a sign from God, but many will oppose him. 
As a result, the deepest thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your very soul. So talking directly to Mary, Simeon was hinting at what was to come, not just announcing that Jesus would bring salvation, but also what it would cost him to bring it. This second half of Simeon's song reminds us that Jesus' birth would cause many people to fall, but that he would also be a joy for many others or cause others to rise. I believe that Simeon was saying, with Jesus, there's no middle ground. You'll either joyfully accept him or you'll willingly reject him. You'll either be hot or cold. There's really no such thing as lukewarm Christianity or lukewarm followers of Jesus. Luke's gospel tells us that many people will oppose Jesus. This is intentionally living life opposite to God's design. As a result, God will reveal the true attitude of our hearts, our true attitude towards God. I can only imagine what hearing this would have been like for Mary and how these words would have made her feel. Simeon was looking right at Mary and said, Although today is a wonderful day, one day, Your heart will break because of this baby. And if you look closely at the words, he doesn't tell Mary exactly what will happen, but he does tell her how it will feel. He said, and a sword will pierce your very soul. Simeon was sharing the truth that in order for Jesus to fulfill his purpose, to fulfill his mission here on earth, he would also have to suffer. He was saying the good news of God's salvation through Jesus would follow suffering. The third and final point for today is this. Unless we understand the events of Easter, it's impossible to grasp the heart of Christmas. It's impossible to grasp the heart of the season that we just celebrated. I remember when Weston, who is our second oldest son, he's now nine years old. I remember when he was born, the doctors told us that he had a stomach issue that was caused by his belly button not healing properly. They let us know that he'd be okay for the time being, but that it could also cause some issues as he gets older, possibly even needing surgery. These words have always stuck with me. I think about him often. I love my son. I care about him. I want nothing but the best for him. I don't want him to suffer if he doesn't have to, although I know suffering builds character and God can use anything for good. I trust God and I know that his plans are always good, but I'd be lying if I said I never worried about this. If I had to guess... I'm willing to bet that Mary never forgot Simeon's words that day. Even if she didn't fully understand what he was saying, she never forgot them. She didn't yet understand that her newborn son, who was resting comfortably in Simeon's arms, would one day hang on a cross. At this point in the message, maybe you're thinking, this doesn't sound like an exciting and encouraging way to begin the new year, to begin a new series, but it absolutely is. You see, unless we understand the events of Easter, it's impossible for us to grasp and understand what we just celebrated at Christmas. Simeon understood this, which is why his song points us to Good Friday and then ultimately Easter. He shared these words, this song, shortly after Jesus was born on the very first Christmas. God's word teaches us about how Jesus was born to redeem people. And Simeon's song speaks to how God would accomplish this. I'd like for us to move from the beginning of Luke's gospel, where Simeon sang about salvation and suffering, to the end of Luke's gospel, where we see what Mary and many of Jesus' early followers had to witness with their own eyes. 
Luke chapter 23, verses 32 through 47 says, Two others, both criminals, were led out to be executed with him. When they came to a place called the Skull, they nailed him to the cross. And the criminals were also crucified, one on his right and the other on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. And the soldiers gambled for his clothes by throwing dice. The crowd watched and the leaders scoffed. He saved others, they said. Let him save himself if he is really God's Messiah, the chosen one. The soldiers mocked him too by offering him a drink of sour wine. They called out to him, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. A sign was fastened above him with these words, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals hanging beside him scoffed, So you're the Messiah, are you? Prove it by saving yourself and us too while you're at it. But the other criminal protested, Don't you fear God even when you have been sentenced to death? We deserve to die for our crimes, but this man hasn't done anything wrong. And then he said, Jesus Remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus replied, I assure you, today you will be with me in paradise. By this time, it was about noon, and darkness fell across the land until three o'clock. The light from the sun was gone, and suddenly the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn down the middle. Then Jesus shouted, Father, I entrust my spirit into your hands. And with those words, he breathed his last. When the Roman officer overseeing the execution saw what had happened, he worshipped God and said, Surely this man was innocent. It was pastor and author Alistair Begg who pointed out an interesting fact about this text. He wrote how there are virtually no details about Jesus' physical suffering. It's as if Luke doesn't want us to get so caught up in the outward physical aspects of what was happening to Jesus that we lose sight of the deeper spiritual truths of what was really happening. Luke doesn't want you to only feel sympathy for Jesus as a sufferer because he wants you to put your faith in Jesus as your savior. Luke wants us to grasp not only what Jesus went through on the cross, but also how he saves. Alistair Begg wrote, Christianity is not good advice about what we should do. It's good news of what Christ has done. Luke chapter 24 verses 1 through 7 says, But very early on Sunday morning, the women went to the tomb, taking the spices they'd prepared. They found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance, so they went in, but they didn't find the body of the Lord Jesus. As they stood there puzzled, two men suddenly appeared to them, clothed in dazzling robes. The women were terrified and bowed with their faces to the ground. Then the men asked, Why are you looking among the dead for someone who is alive? He isn't here. He is risen from the dead. Remember what he told you back in Galilee, that the Son of Man must be betrayed into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, that he would rise again on the third day. Today we can be reminded about how Jesus was born to offer salvation to all people. My question for you is this, have you made the decision to believe in him and to follow him with your life? If the answer is yes, you can claim the promise that you're an adopted son or daughter of the King of Kings. If the answer is no, today can be the day. In fact, I'd love for you to contact our office. I'd love to talk with you about how you can take the next step in beginning a relationship with Jesus. 
The second thing we're reminded about today, Simeon's song is about salvation, but it's also about suffering. It was looking forward to what Jesus would have to go through on your behalf. And finally, unless we understand the events of Easter, it's impossible to grasp the heart of Christmas, the things that we just celebrated. So today, we can celebrate the birth and the life, the death, burial, and resurrection of our Savior because we ultimately know that he went to the cross where he defeated sin, Satan, and death. After three days, he was raised from death. Today we can celebrate the birth and life of our Savior because we worship a risen Savior.